We are back again, second day in a row, talking about the Bengals' big win over the Browns. And for five straight weeks, John Sheeran, we're talking about win after win after win by the Cincinnati Bengals. Quite the refresher from the beginning of the season. I'm Anthony Kazenza. I mentioned he is John Sheeran. Uh, Fresh into the holiday spirit, John Sheeran, based on your, your big weekend. Good, sir. How are you? I don't remember much of it, I'll be quite honest with you, but <laughs> I do remember a lot about Sunday, um, even though I was barely alive, but what what a grimy what a grimy day, a grimy win. L- last week, we had, a at least from my end, a grimy audio recording. You got my very robotic uh, computer voice, but we're back under normal circumstances, and just like that, the Battle of Ohio is back to where it should be as well. And this one, you know, you I, that's a really good way to put it in terms of how, like, the game almost resembled the weather and just, ugh, right? It was, I mean, I wasn't there, but it just looked like it was, like, ugh. And It felt mad, dude. Wait, hold on. Like, the, the first quarter, it felt like the personification of both teams being mad at each other. Like, nothing was going particularly well for both teams. It felt like emotions and energy was just high and nothing was really working and it was there was penalties there was punts it was just it was like a pent-up aggressive type beginning of the game it just ended up going the way of the Bengals because of just how they controlled it that's been the exact opposite for the state of this rivalry for the past couple of years now the impressive thing about that controlling of the game John was the fact that the Bengals were so battered um and came Came out battered, uh, mostly in the game. I mean, you had T. Higgins in there for, what, the very first snap, and then it was like you didn't see him again. Tyler Boyd was out of there by second quarter, I think, um, with the dislocated finger. And Trey Hendrickson broke his wrist at the end of the game and played the entire fourth quarter with a broken wrist. That's something that that the Bengals are going to need to figure out going forward here. But, I mean, I guess, number one, as we sit here and we go, wow, you know, that that's going to – long term that's going to hurt the Bengals quite a bit but also like short term and you know getting this win it, it it was pretty impressive that they were able to do all of that and achieve that with such important players being injured particularly in the game I could be wrong on this but I feel like this is not the first time that Hendrickson has played hurt and you saw like for the most of the game he wasn't winning quick and he wasn't winning cleanly but yeah. they were getting a lot yeah. of pressure on Deshaun Watson throughout the game and I think that was you saw some comments about from whoever was talking about the game about hey like Deshaun Watson is starting to come into his zone he's starting to look like the old Deshaun Watson well he didn't particularly have a a great game he was definitely late on some throws albeit you know the Jesse Bates interception he was missing you know things down the field but there were some moments where he was extending plays and keeping plays alive despite the best efforts from Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard on the other side of him and that was like the shades of, I guess, the the quarterback who once played for the Houston Texans. But it was the first time, Anthony, that the the Bengals, their sides of the trenches were just winning more consistently. Like typically, Miles Garrett has usually been enough for the Browns to completely completely control the Bengals' offense. And the Browns got a taste of their own medicine with DJ Reader completely controlling the game. Like it's... Yep. It, it was no coincidence that DJ Reader had one of his best games of his career and Nick Chubb rushes for like 30 yards and 14 carries. This team, this defense has now held Derrick Henry and uh, Nick Chubb to like maybe like 70, 60 rushing yards on 30 attempts in just the past three weeks. Like we talked about, like what does it say about this defense when it continues to just hold these juggernaut players on offense to just 
terrible outings. And this was the game where it's like, okay, Lou and Rumo and this defense has figured out a way to basically figure out every other offense except Cleveland. Kevin Stefanski and that offense has always been able to just generate positive movement a, a time and time again. And now that they got the quarterback in there with you know weeks of practice, with a game order already under his belt, they did not look in sync at all, and only 10 points came out of it. Well, the other, I mean, not only having Reader back, and he obviously had the big impact, but in terms of run support, having Tupo back alongside him to to get in there and mix it mix it in there, that's you know that that's a, a good thing to have. And they didn't have either of those guys the first time around when Chubb ran all over him. So um, you know that that says a lot about those two guys. The other thing, you know, just kind of as we talk about the defensive line, Emperor Starscream, our our buddy in the YouTube chat here says Hendrickson will be back for the playoffs. We won't miss him that much. Now, here's the thing. The Bengals have been able to get by without the big sacks, you know, like having a five-sack game from somebody and Trey Hendrickson blowing up for two or three sacks a game, you know, that sort of thing. But here, here, check out the, the home stretch here of the schedule, John. You have Tom Brady, you have uh, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, um, and who am I missing there? Uh, I mean, you, you, got, you got star after star at the quarterback position, and – having your best pass rush weapon available is going to, you know, that, that would only help things at this point, particularly because this defense has figured out a formula for Lamar Jackson uh, and what he is able to do. So we'll have to see exactly when Hendrickson will be back. It's kind of a little bit of muddy in terms of the situation right now, but um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment and be like, Hey, we'll be fine because of who the Bengals have coming up on the, uh, to finish the schedule here. Yeah. I mean, like Brady, he, he does what he does against weak pass rushes. Like that's the only way that he's been able to be effective this season, but with Allen and Lamar, you're right. Like the, the aspect of containing those guys and keeping them in the pocket. So they don't do those magical things. Like that's been one of Hendrickson's bright spots this year. And that's what Sam Hubbard does so well too. So it's really going to be on the combination of Cam Sample and Joseph Asai to make up, that type of play, even if they aren't just winning cleanly as pass rushers like Hendrickson. But Hendrickson fortunately stayed in for, I think, most of the game. He played his normal amount of snaps, so we're not going to see that platoon, that rotation of sample aside. Maybe some Jeff Gunter in there, but Anthony, we did see in this game the combination of Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor have to step up. The Trent On the the other side of the ball. And it it seems like T. Higgins, they were expecting him to play, and he tweaked his hamstring before, and he was going through warmups and they said, okay, we're, we're not really comfortable with this. We're going to shut him down. And then he snuck onto the field for a snap, according to Zach Taylor, because they didn't know where he was and he just wanted to play. Right. But they said, Nope, your hamstring is not where it needs to be. We're going to sit you down. And then the Tyler Boyd injury just came out of nowhere. Right. That was the first pass yeah. of the game. He dislocates his finger on, on a pass deflection. So you have Trent Taylor really coming in cold, like not knowing he's going to play a full game and ends up making the biggest play of his career after he could have made the best catch of his career that for some reason didn't count by the eyes of Jerome Boger. But Trent Irwin catches his second touchdown, maybe the easiest and cleanest flea flicker of the game or of Ooh. like the NFL, history of the NFL, Beauty. right? So what do, you, what do you think about those two guys really stepping in and having to play roles that going into the, yesterday, they didn't have no idea they expected they were going to be playing that much? I was texting with someone um, and we were kind of going, it was kind of the early part of the game before the flea flicker had happened and before the big Trent Taylor completion had happened. I think it was actually like 
two plays before the Taylor completion. And we're just saying, man, these guys are struggling, man. You know, they're just, I, I said, you know, they've made a couple of nice plays and a couple of those nice plays are when at least two of the big three are usually on the field, that being Chase Higgins and or Boyd. And then you have one or, you know, you have one of the Trents out there. And then when Burrow looks his way, when there is a Chase and Higgins on the field or a Higgins and Boyd on the field, then, you know, those guys get opened up a little bit more. Now, when you only have one of the big three on the field in Chase, no Higgins, no Boyd, you know, it, it, they can space out the coverage a little bit, and maybe those guys have a little less room to work with. But they had two of the biggest plays of the game on uh, on Sunday. And I, you know, these are these are the things where, you know, you're going to get, if you're if you're Trent, Trent Irwin or Trent Taylor, you're going to get probably two, three looks a game from Burrow at this point, depending on what's going on with Higgins and Boyd over the next couple of weeks. You're going to get, you know, a small handful of looks a piece. And it's just a matter of just be ready because it could come at any time and it could be very early in the game. It could be whatever. I mean, the Trent Taylor one, wasn't that a, a long third down situation? Um, yeah, it, when it, was, he, when he, it was like third and 10 or whatever. And it was yeah. like a perfect throw over the middle and Taylor I think, yep. beat two guys in coverage and made a big play. Yep. And so that's, that's where I, I think these guys are going to need to step up the most is on, on the third downs, particularly with a, a guy like Boyd having the finger issue. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's like, like I said, Taylor had that big catch on third down yesterday. And so that's the kind of stuff. Those are the kind of scenarios that these guys are going to have to continue to step up in the one thing, John, if we're going to talk about the trends and it's not really Trent Taylor's fault, but my God, the block in the back penalties on punt (laughs) returns, it is becoming like a, a once or twice a week tradition by this punt return unit. It's been like that for the past month. It is driving me bananas, and it is killing field position opportunities for the Bengals. They have found a way to largely overcome them. But, man, that is just frustrating as hell to to see that week in, week out at this point, especially from a unit that's usually so well coached by Simmons. I have no explanation. I have no idea what Simmons is saying or not saying on the silence. At this point, Like it's just become such a trend that you have – you just oh. have to look at the coaches at this point. Like I don't know if I, I don't know off the top of my head if Sims has an assistant, um, but these I mean they're quality control guys. There there are enough people here to be like, hey, let's p- put an emphasis on maybe not holding, not blocking guys in the back. Like it sounds simple because I mean if it just happens continuously, there has to be some adjustments made off of that. But the field position thing def- definitely uh, definitely does impact an offense that didn't have its usual guys out there. And it seemed like it did take a full quarter of play for Burrow to really find his rhythm with these new guys. He had Mitchell Wilcox, both Trent's out there being like significant contributors in the passing game, not just not in terms of production, but get, getting those looks and being involved in those progressions and having to have, and having to make plays, right? I think Burrow's best throw of the game, it didn't even count because it was negated by a holding, but it was Wilcox just finding a soft spot over the middle, and Burrow was, like, on his way down, and he threw a strike right to him. And at that yeah, point, yeah, it yeah. seemed like he was finding his rhythm. He was finding his accuracy. I think he completed 14 of his last 21 passes, and we talk about the, the Irwin touchdown because it was so easy and just got behind the defense, but there was one play on third and 10 later in that drive where he was working the scramble drill perfectly with Burrow, and he was going back to his left and Burrow was throwing on the run and he converted that third down. Then Samaji Pirine finds the end zone to put the Bengals up two scores before the first half. So obviously Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor, they're not going to give you the same level of production, the same level of efficiency as T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. But hopefully if one of those guys has to play and we've seen Irwin having to step up as a starting, he can handle it. But eventually when you give these guys enough reps and time, it does seem like the offense 
again, it's not the same level of explosiveness or anything, but they don't really miss a beat. And when you have a guy like Burrow who can, can definitely get settled in like that, it, do, it does help to integrate those guys. But also having Jamar Chase doesn't hurt either. Yeah, he doesn't. He, he's, he's, he's pretty decent, that guy. Um, look, I, I want to get to the good things in a, in a minute, but this is the stuff that I, I, that's some of this stuff is driving me nuts. So the blocks in the back and the holding penalties on punt returns, kick returns, that sort of thing, absolutely driving me bananas. The other thing that's driving me nuts, John, the tipped passes that become interceptions. Burrow's thrown nine interceptions this year, okay? Six of them have been against the Steelers alone. And I would venture to guess that of those six against the Steelers, I would say at least three or four of them were off off of, I think two, I think three at least were tipped passes against the Steelers that at, were the defender at the line, tipped it up, and it became an interception. We had another one this week. Burrow kind of joked, that seems to be the only way I throw interceptions these days after, after the game, and you like that confidence. You like that he actually is speaking truth about it, but they got to figure out how to – lessen this i mean it's these are the types of plays especially when you have personnel out and you're maybe your passing becomes a little bit more predictable and or as you play high quality teams high quality defenses late in the season postseason these are the things you just cannot have later down the road um and if you have them you better find a way to overcome it Bengals did but it is driving me nuts that this uh is and it's really kind of the only Nick in the armor, so to speak, of of Joe Burrow and the passing attack at this point. It's going to be a talking point entering next season. I, I think everyone here is pretty relieved that there's only one divisional game left, and this seems to be where the majority of these issues come into play, not only just in yeah. pass protection and allowing pressures, but just defensive linemen reading in on Burrow. Like They study this guy more than most other defensive linemen in the league because they have to play him twice, and that's going to be a conversation entering next season. Can, these, can the Bengals break these tendencies and get these defensive linemen kind of off their toes instead of having them, be, you know, handle this predictability that they seem to have keyed in on with Burrow. The majority of his padded passes and obviously turnovers have come against divisional opponents. So I think we can all just take a deep breath and say, hey, we don't have to play Miles Garrett anymore this year. Well, let's talk about some of the some of the good then and what we can kick it off with a generous YouTube uh, super chat there. And we will be donating very, very soon to the Pollock Family Foundation. We're going to give them a big Christmas gift. Thanks to all of you. We're going to add a little bit of our own uh, funds in there as well. But thanks to all of you. We're hoping to in the next couple of days here, probably by the end of this week, we'll be giving them uh, a, a nice Christmas present. We hope that they can use for something good. So and we'll put the um uh, the link in the live chat. And for those who do not know, it is givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. If you want to support directly, you can also go to their website and support or, you know, your YouTube super chats, that sort of thing. Those will go to them. So Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Mr. Whisper, Mr. Generosity, as he is known around this part, uh, these parts. Can you guys speak on Cam Taylor Britt's performance since taking over to now? People are saying he's a draft steal now. I see him as average to above average at the moment. There are, in my in my opinion, there are still bumps, and you could see this. Really, it was a tale of two halves for for Cam Taylor Britt in this game. Um, you know, he was giving up some completions in the beginning part of the game. Uh, you know, there it, he he seems to be in a lot of instances in the right position, and he's right there. But somehow, a contested catch just kind of gets made, and he you could see the frustration on it. He had a, um, I think it was a holding penalty or a pass interference penalty as well yesterday. But at the end of the game, John, when the when the field really shrinks and shortens in that red zone area, I think there were three passes that were directed his way. He defended two of them, um, and, and the other was an incompletion uh, to Cooper in the back of the end zone. So I, I think he is still a work in progress. He is still growing, but there are signs there that I think you've got. And we knew this based on the athletic profile and whatnot, but there's a lot of clay to mold there. Work in progress. Um, the defense continues to play very well without Shadobia Wuzier in the in the in the backfield. But um, I, I'm excited for the potential. I don't think the potential has really been reached or is anywhere near being reached with Cam Taylor Britt, and that's a good thing. He's a gamer, man. I feel like that's the best way to describe yep. him right now because yep. you hit the nail on the head. For the first three quarters, I don't think he played that well of a game. There were a couple of receptions that he allowed to Mari Cooper. Cooper beat him clean. I think his only two receptions against Taylor Britt early on in the game, and you're right, he was flagged, I believe, for defensive holding against Donovan Peoples-Jones on a crucial, I think, third and long that Watson and the Browns were able to convert. And that was, I think, with 10 or 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Ever since then, he turned it on and became the exact player that the Bengals drafted him for. He made two stops on Nick Chubb and run support, and you're right. He was a complete lockdown corner in coverage from, from then on. Like, Cooper wasn't able to do anything off the line of scrimmage. He wasn't able to get any conversions or any receptions off of him, and he made two, two fourth down stops, one in the end zone against Donovan Peoples-Jones on a goal line fade, and another on a short pass to Cooper, got the Browns off the field for both occasions. So the Browns made an emphasis to target this rookie cornerback who was going up against Peoples-Jones, who, to his credit, still had another great game against the Bengals. Amazing day. <laughs> another over, over 100 yards on, yeah. on the day. But Cooper definitely seemed fatigued going up against him. Now, he wasn't 100%. He had a hip injury entering this game. So who knows if that had anything to do with it. But Cooper started to shut him down towards the end. And he made the plays that actually mattered. So I think right now you just have to take the good with the bad because you don't have any other option, obviously. But if he's making the plays when it counts, you can take some lumps in the road in the first couple of quarters. Well, so he, yeah, I mean... He, he played well, and you mentioned his name earlier, and he's a guy who's kind of been uh, a little bit of this in his career, but the, the, the peaks are way high, and the valleys aren't very low, but uh, it would be, you know, there, there's kind of some ups and downs and tale of two seasons, and that is Jesse Bates, and he made an amazing play. Great breakdown, by the way, by Adam Marchaletta in the game, showing kind of the, mm-hmm. the angle and what he did. Now, I will say this. You mentioned earlier that Watson was late on the throw. He was. However, where Taylor Britt was positioned on the play and Bates being where he was, he put it more inside of the field to, because Taylor Britt was on the outside. So he actually kind of had decent ball placement, even though it ended up being pick, picked. He just threw it a tiny bit late and Bates made an incredible play. And that was that was kind of at a moment where, man, this is kind of, you know, it's a two possession game, obviously, but you had the missed extra point. 
I kind of felt like at that time, Watson was kind of feeling it a little bit. You know, he was, he was kind of getting out of pressure, avoiding sacks, dealing it, hitting balls across the middle. Um, and so I, just from that standpoint, even though the Bengals responded with an interception of their own, I felt like that was a big point in the game that kind of just said, okay, even though it didn't lead to points to really ice it, that was kind of the, uh, kind of the nail in the coffin, so to speak, or one of the first nails in the coffin, so to speak for the Browns in this one. I felt the same way because Watson made a great play right before then. I think he evaded the sack and they converted a first down and yeah, he, it, it was a play like that that could get a quarterback back into the rhythm. And, you know, they were obviously in crunch time. They were down two scores in the final quarter. So he knew that he had to make plays and, Bates made the play first, and he was really close to dropping that ball. And I know that he, he bobbled it. Heard, yep. <laughs> he would have never heard the end of it if he dropped another potential game ceiling yep. play. But yeah, he made the interception. Unfortunately, the Bengals responded with an interception of their own, which is why I I feel like I, I don't know if the Bengals truly had like complete control of this game at the end because the Browns had two chances to score and they failed on both of them. But you know, credit to the defense. I think that was the story of the game, to be honest with you, because it opened up with the injuries to Tyler Boyd, the injuries to T Higgins and the offense couldn't get anything going. And the Browns first drive, like Watson, his first two passes were first downs. Nick Chubb, I think that the most success he had all day was on that first drive up until the very end when, for whatever reason, um, Kevin Stefanski brought Jacoby Brissett for a deep ball on fourth and one. But it was from then on, I think the defense really set the tone in this game and had one of their best performances against this iteration of the Browns in recent memory. So let's, Let's talk. We've talked about things that we liked, players, performances, that sort of thing. Um, we'll kind of continue that, and then we'll segue into an I don't know, or uh, I, you know, you're you're smarter than me, John. So I would I would defer to you on on the I don't know part, and we'll get to that in a second. But what I'm what I want to end on in terms of some of the elements that we did like the the running backs. You know, we, we've talked all week and leading up to this this week and last week, oh, Mixon can't, you know, he should he should take less carries, give more to Pirine and whatnot. Well, Pirine had a couple of drops in the uh, passing game. Uh, one, was a, one was a little tough to, to catch to make for him. There's a slightly off, uh, off target, but it did hit him in the hand there. But Mixon comes in fresh off of that, that break from the concussion issue. 14 carries, 96 yards, almost seven yards a pop. P. Ryan also only four carries, but had five and a half yards a pop. What I'm saying is I really liked what I saw from the running backs here, but where I'm getting into the I don't know area is the offensive line performance because you look at that and you say, wow, you know, they were making lanes and Mixon was running. Mixon was running as hard as I've seen him run since he was like a rookie or second year player. I mean, he he just looked juiced up. Um so you had some high, you know, high yards per carry. Bengals really took it to him on the ground, particularly late. Bled out the clock. Love that. Uh, you know, you look at the sack numbers. Only one on Burrow. Chase had had one because of that weird broken play. You know, that sort of thing. So really not, you know, a ton there. But Miles Garrett had both of the sacks. Three tackles for loss. Um, the you know there were pressures. It seemed like Clowney was getting the better of Collins at times as well. So I don't know. I'm, I I like. I like the running game. I like the offensive line performance in that aspect, but also there's some aspects in the passing game where you go, Hmm, I, I can't really, I don't really know what to make of what I saw there. To be honest, I feel like knowing what we knew about the Bengals offensive line and the Browns defensive line, this game pretty much went exactly how it should have because Clowney and obviously Garrett can still make noise on the edge. Lowell Collins continues to just have a handful of just 
really questionable reps in pass protection. That's just the case with him this year. Jonah Williams, we know his relationship with Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's just going to get the better of him a handful of times, and that he did. Very first play, Euro stepped him out of existence and got a hit on Joe Burrow there. But the interior of the Browns' defensive line is non-existent, and for the beginning is, part yeah. of the game, that was the biggest concern for me. Like they weren't able to generate any movement up front against the, their defensive tackles. They are objectively terrible, and they need to completely overhaul that group in the offseason. I believe that should be the plan for them. But around the second and third quarter is when you started to see some movement up front, and that's when Mixon started to get going. And then they had that toss play that they ran probably 10 times this year and was successful maybe once, but it ended up being one of his best runs of the season following Lowell Collins out to the edge. So they set up yep. on the inside, then they hit up, hit him back to the outside, and Mixon ends up averaging, like you said, seven yards per carry. So Mixon ran hard, as he usually does against Cleveland. That's, I believe, early in his career, that his best games usually came against the Browns. I remember one of those games since rookie year where he just truck-sticked or brutal peppers when he was still a safety for them. So he's had, his, he's had positive history against this team, but eventually I think everything returned to how it should have been, and the Browns just couldn't stop anything up the middle. They could not. It's just, you know, again, the tackle play a little bit was, was, uh, I, I just didn't really know what to make of it, but they were getting, getting some push in the run game, particularly late, which I liked. Uh, Clowney had some, some pressures, like I said, and was in there on some plays. The weirdest play though, John, and <laughs> I, I don't really know what to make of this one either. What, what Clowney saw on this one, but the P Ryan touchdown where he just kind of ran into a pile of people and then no, uh, Clowney kind of ran in there, maybe thought someone else had him stopped dead to rights, didn't go after him when he was kind of right there in his peripheral. Piran just bounced it right out and into the end zone. Credit to Samaje for, you know, not giving up on the play and hustle, hustle, hustle. But I, I just, I don't know what the Browns were doing on that play. They didn't play to the whistle, man. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, I, yeah, that's that's day one. I mean, I, I just, when I saw that, I was like, wow. And that's, that's a guy who's, you know, a pretty good player in Jadavion Clowney that just, Kind of had a space cadet moment, so to speak. I, I guess they believe that forward progress had been stopped, but I mean, that 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 ref crew had an interesting day yesterday, and I, I guess that was one of those they moments did. where it's like, eh, whatever. It, it is always a bit of an adventure with that with that crew. It seems there's a lot of uh, penalties being called, uh, flags being swallowed, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, anyway, I just I, I thought about I thought about that situation and thought it was very very um very very interesting um i want to get to some headlines in just a little bit talk about the injuries and whatnot your uh, any any other areas of the game or you know areas of interest that you would like to give us a little bit of a take on before we get to some of these headlines and uh analyze some of those um i I just think that Going into the game, I was curious how the Browns are going to handle Chase in general, just because Denzel Ward has not been very good this year, and we kind of saw shades of why that's been the case against Jamar Chase. I figured that since Martin Emerson has had such a great rookie season, they might be interested in having him line up against Chase and man, but I think Ward really wanted to prove that he could be the guy to shut down Jamar Chase. And this game, I think, says a lot about Chase because he didn't have Higgins and Boyd to take the attention off of him. And the Browns just ended up having Ward or Greg Newsom on an island against him. And Chase won more times not because that's who Jamar Chase is. And the chemistry that he and Burrow have is, I mean, it's just, we, we've talked about it 
so much over the course of these past years. It, it's automatic. And when you have that timing, it doesn't really matter how great the coverage is because Chase will find a way to get separation at the catch point and Burrow will find a way to, to put the ball exactly where it needs to be at the exact right time. And we saw that time and time. I think it's one of the Chase's best games of his career, even if it wasn't the best performance from De- from Denzel Ward. But the fact that he was basically all alone in this in this game and counted for 50% of the Bengals passing offense, it was so impressive. It was. I mean, there was obviously some some misses. I think he had 15 targets and 10 catches on those 15 tar- targets. But, I mean, there was a back shoulder throw. There was a couple yards after the catch things. I mean, they were trying to get get him the ball, and rightfully so. And then, of course, the touchdown throw, John. You mentioned that. That was just perfectly played. It almost seemed like it surprised Chase where it was um, it did. when he, he, when he caught it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just kind of showed up on him. He's like, oh, there it is, because he weaved it between these two defenders so perfectly. It was That, that throw was incredible. I mean, wait, it's like, how, how do you top the third and 11 to, to Higgins against the Chiefs? I, I guess yeah. that, that's it. It was literally a keyhole type window because <laughs> the safety was closing in, man. And it looked a little bit widened uh, when you saw like another angle because the safety wasn't exactly there just yet. But there's a reason why Chase wasn't expecting it. The Browns in pre-snap were in too high. So Chase's route wasn't going completely over the middle. The middle of the field was open in that pre-snap look. And then the Browns rotated to a single high coverage. And then that safety was just isolated there. But Burrow said, nope. Right now is when I can throw this ball, and that's exactly when he did. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great throw, great throw, and obviously that was one of the big plays of the game. All right, let's get to this. You put this up, I believe it was today on Cincy Jungle. We're gonna, um, and this is, I think, this tale. You know, I, we go through the, the the drive summaries and the team stats and all this kind of stuff, and those tell a specific tale. But so do snap counts uh, quite often, and you put this together here trends and you know i saw a question here too i don't know if you had uh, any insight on it but there was a question from one of our listeners here also that said you know is is pratt potentially upset with his playing time hadn't really uh hadn't really thought about that but anyway um i don't know if that's part of your snap count recap here but talk us through this a little bit i just want to make an announcement with pratt and i feel like this just this goes for any player on any cryptic tweet I have no I have no analysis of it. I have no idea if he's talking about actually playing on third down or if he says they need to play better on third down. I feel like it's more the latter based off of how that game went and the fact that he was on the field for I think eight or nine third downs when the Browns only ran fifteen of them. I I don't know. I'm not going to comment on any more than that. And I feel like that's just that that should be just a, a guideline, a, a, a bylaw for this podcast. We I'm yeah, not going yeah. to comment on any cryptic tweet if don't, I don't know what don't. it is. Yeah, don't, yeah. I mean, the only other thing, too, I think you just kind of talked about it. Browns at the end of the game were, you know, in a, in a pretty pass-heavy offense, and, you know, Pratt was probably subbed out for some of that. So maybe if there is some something to that, maybe that has something to do with it. But, I, I you know, I don't – this doesn't seem to be a locker room that has a ton of dissension. No. Other than that, it was the rotation between Mixon and Pirine. Mixon was on the field for 39 snaps, Pirine 29. I don't know if that was just because it was Mixon's first game back, but I feel like that – is a sustainable rotation. Mixon was on the field for the majority of rundowns. P. Ryan was on the field for the majority of passing downs. Pretty pretty self-explanatory there. But then I think Cam Sample and Osai, I mentioned that before. Like We're going to see how this develops next week, but they've been more equally used than I think most people realize. It's been Sample out-snapping Osai for the most part of the season, and they've been on the field for the same exact number of pass rushing snaps as well. And Osai's productivity on those snaps is only barely eclipsed what Sample's been able to do. I think Osai's just made more impactful finishes at the quarterback. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if Sample ends up starting in place of Trey Hendrickson and Osai just gets more reps as a situational pass rusher just because they don't have Hendrickson out there. Yeah, and I think the um I mean, you can you can kind of see the the snap breakdowns here on uh, if you're watching through the video here, but um, yeah, uh, you see here here's P Ryan with 29 snaps, 43 percent of those. Uh, Devin Asiasi, um, you can see there, and you had mentioned sample sample yesterday. I think he had Watson in his grasp at one point. Watson got out of it and yep. uh, ended up making a, a pretty big completion so that's the kind of stuff that's going to need to be cleaned up and when we say when someone says potentially you know i don't know about you know how big of a loss trey hendrickson may or may not be because it's been next man up and yes that is true those are the kind of things where you know that doesn't happen often with hendrickson meaning get a guy in the grasp and, and let him get out of it watson obviously is very athletic so you know he can do that a little bit better than some other quarterbacks there but uh that's you know that talking about sample that's definitely something to keep an eye on and as far as just overall injury news and updates and everything that goes with that, I think right yeah, now you have, yeah, you have Tyler Boyd who I think had his finger flushed out. At, um, I think right after the game, or maybe while the game Oof. was going on, just to prevent infection. Um, Zach Taylor, per usual, is pretty coy about this these kind of things, so he didn't technically rule Tyler Boyd out for this week. But the report from I want to say it was Jeremy Fowler said that he would probably probably be out for one to two weeks while that thing heals up. T. Higgins, he's probably day-to-day with that hamstring. They're just going to closely monitor it just like they did last week. It, it it looked like he was running fine on the one snap that he did play, but again, they want to be precautious about this. They wanted to be healthy for this playoff run that's coming. And with Trey Hendrickson, Taylor also didn't roll him out for this week either, even though he was reportedly had a broken wrist. He just claimed it to be just a wrist injury, and we're going to see how that goes. But Anthony... Just put a club on that man. I feel like he could be really dominant with a club on his hand. Yeah, I, I thought so. You know, I I mean, if you're able to gut through that an entire quarter and not come out of the game, I mean, maybe there is something you can remedy it. I think the issue in, in this, what the staff has really been excellent about is not to have something come up where you prolong it, you know, something gets prolonged or it gets worse or that sort of thing. And just with that, although he played through it for an entire quarter, I had heard someone kind of say it or mention it maybe on Twitter. I can't remember where I where I kind of got this thought, but obviously, you know, the jamming of your your wrist and or if you fall and you brace yourself, you you know, all that kind of you know, you push yourself up off the ground. You do a lot with your wrist. Uh, that's kind of the <laughs> and more than maybe most people kind of think. So I don't know. And I you know, and then obviously. How effective are you with the club on your hand? I don't know. How stabilized is that to, to actually heal the injury? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to think that this is going to be something that, you know, will probably keep him out uh, a, a little bit here. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you can see here, not ready to rule him out versus Tampa Bay. But um, and that is from the great Marissa Contepelli of Bengals.com, who we got to get we got to get her on the show, John. We got to try and get her on the show here. But um yeah. Anyway, uh, it seems no one's going on IR, none of that kind of stuff, short-term IR. So that is good news. It's just a matter of getting through it and seeing uh, really, uh, these are kind of weird injuries. So it's kind of like, you know, how do, it's almost kind of seeming like they're saying, how do you feel today? How do you feel today? How do you feel today? Um, you know, especially with the hamstring thing with Higgins, that's, that's one that's just going to be an annoying one to, to get past. We're going to look back on the season and obviously players have missed some time, but thankfully no one has been out for most of the season. 
but the majority of these injuries have been to really impactful Bengals, like Joe Burrow, not 100% yep. for the first couple of weeks. DJ Reader missing about a quarter, a third of the season. The run defense really struggling because of that. Jamar Chase out for a month. T. Higgins on and off with his hamstring. Tyler Boyd, Mike Hilton, both with finger issues. Now Trey Hendrickson Mixed with a in. broken wrist. And what am I saying? Jadobi Wuse is out for half the year of the torn ACL. Of course, he's out for right. the season. The most impactful Bengals have been on injury list this year and have been missing games and the fact that the Bengals are nine and four and have their first five game win streak since 2015 it says a lot about the composition of this team it does and that was not part of the the formula last year right I mean how they they got there because so many of their important players just stayed healthy throughout the entire season thankfully these injuries that they have had to some of these players have kind of been more short-term type of stuff aside from a but um, I mean, they've had to navigate a lot, and that's what I think was really impressive about the win yesterday. Another thing that was impressive about the win, John, was this headline here, and we've got a few more, and then we are going to start to get on out of here. But look at this one. Bengals offensive coaches had to change the game plan an hour before kickoff uh, for a, a couple of different reasons, and I think it was because of the Higgins injury, obviously, with him tweaking it in warmups. I guess I had heard also that they didn't think he was going to go out there for the first snap, but he kind of snuck out there. It sounded like, and then from there did not play the rest of the way. So um, again, and, and I talked about how this might have been a thing that happened the first time around with Cleveland because of the chase injury they planned on him. And then all of a sudden late in the week, I think it was Thursday or Friday. It's like, Oh no, he's going to be out for a month. Um, and so they probably had to scramble a bit with that game plan as well. So a little bit of the same thing the second time around. I mean, this is even worse because this is the day of the game. Like you already have your right. actives being made and, and T Higgins was supposed to be like, they gave him a chance to play and then he didn't. And then all of a sudden Trent Taylor's playing 50 snaps because Tyler Boyd needs his finger flushed out. So the fact that they had to overcome all of this, it explains why they were so inept in the first 20 minutes yep. of the game. Yep. But kudos to Burrow and Callahan and everyone else assisting Zach Taylor on the play calling and just overall just thinking on the fly for figuring this stuff out. And kudos to them too, because they could have really, and uh, granted they ran the ball and they ran the ball effectively. They could have really crawled into their shell, so to speak, and just really been real vanilla, real basic with all these personnel losses. Instead, what do you see? You see a gadget play to chase. I know it lost nine yards. Oh, well, you saw a gadget play to chase. You saw a flea flicker. You saw a lot of creative stuff that was coming out that you hadn't really figured was going to be part of the game plan with so many, I don't want to say, you know, uncommon faces, but I mean, you know, guys that just don't get the high volume of snaps as some of the others, some of the guys out of the lineup, you wouldn't expect some of those big plays to come, uh, you know, those trick plays, so to speak, to come with that new personnel out there. That is true. And I think it speaks to just the confidence that they have entering this game Four four wins in a row. Offensive efficiency is through the roof. I feel like it, it, it is more of the next man up mentality where it's like, hey, if one guy goes down, like there's confidence in guys like Irwin to just fill in and the offense doesn't really skip a beat. Now, it may take a minute for it to get to that point, but the fact that they could lean on that defense to give them time so the game script doesn't get completely out of control, it definitely made the difference in the game. Quick whip around the AFC North. In case you did not see this game or hear about it, the Steelers lost to the Ravens. It's one of those oh-so-rare occasions where I think Bengals fans were rooting for the Steelers to win because they were going against the Ravens. Another one of those just real pretty games, John, between these two teams. And uh, neither of these teams are playing great football at this point. Um, the, the Steelers and the Ravens, the Ravens still hang on to that 
division lead with the same record as the Bengals nine and four. They have the tiebreaker, but Kenny Pickett was out of the game early on because of a concussion. He was slammed to the turf. Trubisky came in. I, my understanding is that Trubisky did not play very well in this game. Um, it's just an ugly game all around Ravens, you know, squeaked one out, but uh, this is something to, to note for the Steelers going forward. They're rookie. Um, who knows what's going to go on in terms of how long these effects may linger. Sometimes they're back within the, you know, the, the calendar week. And as we saw with Mixon, sometimes it's two weeks or more. I mean, what's more AFC North than both quarterbacks suffering concussions in the same game? It's just like, <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah. This is just the cruel reality of this freaking division. But yeah, Huntley also suffered a concussion in the third quarter. So the Ravens are maybe down to their third quarterback this season, next game. And they have to keep winning to keep pace with the Bengals. I think I ran through some uh, simulations with like 538's uh, NFL predictor. And over the next three weeks, and we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but over the next three weeks before that week 18 Bengals-Ravens game, the Bengals have the edge if both teams enter that game with the same record. The Ravens can clinch the playoffs if they win twice and the Bengals lose lose twice, but the Bengals can clinch if they win all three games and the Ravens lose twice. So basically, if the Bengals keep pace with the Ravens, they will enter that game with the upper hand and it's just win and you clinch the division. So if the Ravens drop one while they're dealing with these quarterback issues, it's it's not going to be great for them. It is not going to be great for them. And then on Dogs by Nature, the SB Nation uh, the Cleveland Browns SB Nation site, uh, Jalti Froholt, the center, um, and they say, it's, you know, they're talking about his struggles, namely against the interior defensive line. So they're talking and echoing a bit of what you said, John, in terms of DJ Reader feasting in the middle of that defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Froholt. Um, he was okay as a guard this year, but he's been having to move across the line of scrimmage this year due to injuries up front. And yeah, DJ Rudy BJ Hill had tremendous games against him. And that's really a testament more to, to them rather than for, for hold. Yeah. And then interesting here, as we go forward, another team that's having to deal with injuries and or ineffectiveness. And this was a, I guess a little bit of a head scratching de- decision by the Baltimore Ravens. They started um, guard uh, Tristan Cologne over Ben Cleveland and Patrick McCarry. So they've had kind of a, little bit of a carousel here um and you can see here kevin zeitler exited his pregame warm-up warm-up shaking his head meaning he was not gonna go so undrafted offensive lineman tristan cologne who had never started at right guard he was the guy who got the starting spot over third round pick from a year ago ben cleveland and patrick mccarry a guy they like a lot so a little bit of a surprise there it seemed to work to some degree because dobbins and others were getting yardage on the ground and plays on the ground uh, but they, again, the Ravens are dealing with a number of different injuries and issues along their team. Yeah, they typically can develop those offensive linemen pretty well from a young age. But the Ravens are one of the <laughs> the Ravens maybe believe that injury luck and regression to the mean doesn't really exist. Some maybe some teams just deal with it more than others. And unfortunately for the Ravens, that seems to be them. Yeah. Uh, well, that's going to pretty much this this episode flew by talking uh, more about the Bengals win over the Browns. We've got a lot in store for you this week. We've got another episode on Thursday. We're trying to uh, reschedule Mike Golick this week. So we're going to follow up with that. We've got another surprise as well. That's going to be coming some cool content with that. So we're excited there. Uh, so we've got a lot of stuff that we'll be unveiling this week and in the weeks ahead as the Bengals march towards the postseason. Final thoughts, John Sheeran, before we come back to everybody on Thursday night to help uh, as before we kick off 
Thursday night uh, football that night. And, you know, New England's not for another week, but we're on to Tampa Bay. And it's it's the same quarterback as that game, so we're on to Tampa Bay. We're on to Tampa Bay, yeah. And, um, man, that's uh, – Tom Brady has not been kind to the Cincinnati Bengals. The, the Buccaneers are not playing well at this point in time, but they are coming off of a loss right now. And uh, Brady off of a loss is not – not the kind of Tom Brady that you, you usually want, but this Buccaneers team seems far more vulnerable than they have in years past. The Bengals are already 3-0 against the NFC South, so hopefully they can get to that undefeated. And we will preview that game coming up and hopefully have a special guest for you on that one. All kinds of different stuff on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. You can get this show underneath John there in that SB Nation logo. If you like the YouTube side, you can hit that to subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We've got a lot of live viewers right now. That's awesome. Um, so you can do that. And then, of course, got to give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page if you like the video there. And, of course, if you like all the material from the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, you can get it on your favorite streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We are on all of them. Go subscribe. Leave a review. We appreciate it. We've got a lot more in store for you, and we are excited about that. John, have a good Start to your week. I know the win helps, and uh, we'll be back for more. You too, brother.